It looks like the benefits of biodiesel and renewable diesel go beyond reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It turns out there's an environmental health benefit too. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. The environmental story of biodiesel and renewable diesel is hard to beat. Made from renewable vegetable oil stock, these fuels can be a drop-in replacement for petroleum-based diesel. The life cycle analysis shows bio-based diesel fuels reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and it turns out there's an environmental health benefit too. Recently, Clean Fuels Alliance America released phase two of its study of air quality benefits of biodiesel. And the news is good. These renewable fuels are known to reduce particulate matter emissions even in older engines without advanced emission tech. But what does lower particulate matter mean? It means improving air quality and reducing the health impact of running diesel engines, less asthma attacks, less incidents of other respiratory illness, those types of benefits. We caught up with Floyd Vergara, the Director of State Governmental Affairs at Clean Fuels America Alliance, to help us break down the voluminous report. He shares some key benefits found in the study conducted by Trinity Consultants. Floyd Vergara, thanks for joining me here on Around Farm Progress. How are you today? I'm fine. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm excited about this because uh, the Clean Fuels Alliance uh, for America has released an interesting report, and as I think I joke with you a little bit, it's 241 pages, so if you can get out of it anything you want in terms of good details and information. But why don't you tell me in your own words about this report and kind of why Clean Fuels took it on? Yeah, thanks. Great question. Um, so why we took it on, you know, historically in, in the literature, we've known for a, a while that biodiesel and renewable diesel, but especially biodiesel, uh, have you know amazing uh, physical and chemical properties that allow it, when combusted in a diesel engine, to uh, substantially reduce the particulate matter emissions from uh, these engines, uh, especially the older legacy engines that don't have the newer control technologies. And why this is important is because diesel PM uh, has been found by US EPA and California regulatory agencies and other folks to have a uh, important adverse health impact on folks. They, um, the particles that are very small uh, tend to penetrate deeply into the lungs and cause all kinds of, of problems. So we've known that biodiesel V100 uh, has the ability to reduce that substantially, uh, 50% or more, uh, depending on the, uh, the engine and the feedstocks. But we've never had a study in the literature that we were aware of that actually quantify those percentages into metrics that are relatable to you know, ordinary folks like you and I. And by relatable metrics, I mean premature deaths avoided, uh, asthma cases reduced, work days uh, reduced, and then you know, what does that all amount to in terms of uh, an impact on the economy? So that's what we were interested in. Um, so we commissioned uh, Trinity Consultants back in uh, 2020 to start this uh, evaluation, um, started out with phase one, uh, you know, 15 different sites across the country in both coasts and Colorado, looking at transportation and heating oil uses. Uh, and then this recent um, release study, which is the second phase, uh, covered an additional 13 uh, sites in, um, you know, uh, 13 other uh, states. So 
a broad range of different uh, facilities and, and, and different states and different sites uh, that we looked at. I think it's interesting when you look at these sites because these are all very urban uh, locations and we think of biodiesel as a rural relationship. But this is a kind of an interesting link between city and country in that the biodiesel we produce out of our soy oil uh, in the country can have a significant impact in the urban area, can't it? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this is one of those things that we try to get to, you know, our farmer members and uh, other folks who produce biodiesel and the feedstocks um, that go into biodiesel. Um, you know, up until, up until now, it was difficult to relate uh, the environmental and public health benefits of that of their products. Um, again, we knew that our fuels uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by quite a bit, 74% on average, up to 85% or more greenhouse gas reductions. And then there were also these co-benefits in reducing diesel PM. But again, until this study, we had not been able to quantify the, those benefits, and especially at the neighborhood level. Um, you could do ba basically back of the envelope calculations to try to translate that into benefits that are on average for people across a, a state, for example. But um, until we did the, you know, the detailed computer modeling, uh, looking at air dispersion and health risk assessments, never really had a good idea of what those benefits meant for the person who's living near these high diesel use uh, facilities and sites. And by the sites, um, we looked at the, the a broad range of different high diesel use sites. So this covered um, ports, rail yards, uh, logistics facilities, you know, your your typical mega Amazon sort of uh, warehousing facility. Um, also looked at uh, large, uh, busy freight corridors, uh, urban centers, uh, and, uh, and, and things like that. And we also looked at the heating oil sector in the Northeast. Um, so really just a, a, a interesting uh, insight into the um, impacts and benefits of, of these fuels. So, and one of the issues about that too is that, well, those large industrial areas, housing near there is relatively inexpensive. I mean, and so this brings uh, kind of an interesting situation for the folks that can afford to live in those areas. They are also impacted by this diesel. I mean, we talk, we call these environmental justice communities, groups and organizations or in, or parts of cities that may have been split in half by a freeway and now everybody living there is being inundated with diesel exhaust and things like that, right? This could be a big deal here. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, I, I do want to point out that we did not start this study specifically with environmental justice in mind. As I mentioned, we really just wanted to get just a basic understanding of, you know, posing a question of if you take a, all of the diesel that's used in these high diesel use sites, and then converted that or switched that over to B100. What would the what would the air look like, and what would you know the resulting benefits look like for a person living nearby? Um, as it turns out, as you uh, rightfully noted, historical uh, you know zoning policies and and other sort of mechanisms tended to divert and and bring you know poor communities, disadvantaged communities, uh, uh, other folks call them environmental justice communities, uh, very close to a number of these sites. For example, in Southern California, we looked at the port of Los Angeles and Long Beach, which collectively is the largest um, port in the US. 
uh, processes 40% of the cargo containers that um, reach the, the, the country. And, and you have a number of communities surrounding that port complex um, that are heavily impacted, not just by uh, the emissions from the equipment and the vehicles um, servicing this port, but also the nearby um, refineries and other sort of sources. So I, I think this sort of study really adds to the knowledge base in terms of how are these people being impacted? And more importantly, what can we do about it? We being um, us, the, the folks who produce the cleaner fuels, as well as the folks who are considering policies that uh, further the use of these fuels, the, the regulators, the legislators, and, and other decision makers. There's a whole other podcast discussing the folks that just want to get rid of the internal combustion engine of any kind, and that's a different conversation. But we're going to have these engines and these machines and these fuel, these uh, diesel-powered uh, furnaces in our ho in homes in the Northeast, as you note. Uh, the it's obviously fuel oil, but never mind. The whole idea being that these oil burners are going to be with us for a while. And if they were burning B100, it could make a significant impact. And I think it's interesting in uh, some of the highlights from the, the phase two report are, what is it, a reduction in 456,000 asthma cases a year, or in terms of going to inhalers or those kinds of situations, or 142,000 fewer sick days per year just across the communities you measured, right? I mean, these are not small numbers. That, that, that's exactly right. These are very significant numbers, and they're consistent with um, work that's been done by the American Lung Association, US EPA, uh, California Air Resources Board, other sort of folks that are leading um, efforts to clean up the air. Um, so these are not, you know, th these shouldn't surprise anyone, although to someone who is new to this, yeah, they are very eye-opening. And certainly if I were living in one of these communities, I would be very uh, concerned about, you know, the sort of numbers we're talking about. Uh, in addition to what you mentioned, you know, the, the study showed that for the just the 28 sites that were evaluated, um, you could prevent uh, over 910 premature deaths per year. Again, that's tied directly to the impacts that uh, diesel particulate matter have on the human body. Uh, and then, you know, if, if you're interested in the economics of it, all of these benefits total up to more than $7.7 .7 billion. And again, that's for 28, just 28 sites. Again, uh, of course, there are dozens, possibly hundreds of similar sites across the country. So we're talking literally about the tip, tip of the iceberg. And I do want to go back to a point you made mm -hmm. earlier, which is a great one. You know, when we started out with this, what, you know, we've known, again, that the greenhouse gas benefits uh, from these, from fuels like renewable diesel and biodiesel are substantial, they're important, and they're immediately available. And immediately available because they are here in commercial scale, and they could be used as drop-in fuels. You don't need substantial you know, charging infrastructure or other things that need lots of investment, lots of time to develop. These fuels are here now. And so the other important aspect of that immediacy is these health benefits that come with these fuels. They accrue immediately upon the use of these fuels. And it's not just B100. Any blend of biodiesel starts to give you these these uh, benefits, and the the more biodiesel you use, the greater the benefits up to the uh, amounts that we identified and quantified in the in this study. So I think that's an important thing that um, uh, folks don't realize and they don't talk about in these conversations when they're pursuing aggressive climate policies 
is that, you know, a, a number of these fuels like biodiesel, renewable diesel can get you very far in terms of your climate efforts, but they could also immediately address uh, a whole host of your um, public health uh, uh, issues, especially near the, the poor and environmental justice communities. I think it's a pretty significant benefit on top of the uh, obviously the environmental benefits. Now you have the environmental justice benefit. And I, I just don't think that people think about that. And it's uh, great because there are a lot of older diesel engines out there. I mean, it's expensive to move to the new um, tier four final uh, types of technologies that are on some of these on-road vehicles. So guys are doing what they can and gals are doing what they can to keep them running on the road. If they could burn B100 or B30 and reduce their particulate matter, they'd still be helping and they wouldn't be seeing a, a loss in performance of the vehicle either. That, that's absolutely correct. And they would they would be continuing to enjoy the many benefits of internal combustion in terms of power and torque and the ability to go long distance. And they're doing substantial improvements to air quality and public health. And that's nothing to sneeze at, um, pardon the pun, but um, you know, when you're talking about aggressive climate policies that rely on long-term technology developments that will take 20, 30, 40 years, the, the question really becomes, what do you do in the meantime until the, the world has changed so that you can have all of those uh, high technology sort of efforts? And the, the answer in our minds is, well, you should clean up the fuel as much as you can. And biodiesel and renewable diesel are the obvious solutions that are drop in. They provide equivalent performance uh, to current fuels. Um, in many cases, they're, they're price parity or price competitive with uh, petroleum diesel. And you get the substantial environmental and public health benefits uh, along with them. I mean, it checks off virtually every box that we're aware of. Well, yeah, and you're checking on new boxes with this phase two report, that's for sure, at least in a lot of people's minds, because the environmental story, at least to me, seemed to make a lot of sense, right? The carbon footprint of renewable diesel and biodiesel is so good that uh, we have to ship all of our renewable diesel to California right now. I mean, it's just fascinating. But the other side of that is that if I can uh, have this health benefit, uh, it's important. Now, the question I have for you is, how do I, as a farmer, keep furthering that story? I mean, besides yelling at the television when I hear the next story about how we're going to replace all our Class 8 trucks with electric or hydrogen uh, tomorrow, which we won't, how do I get that message out to people, policymakers, to say, hey, this works too? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I would start by educating myself. Um, we have a whole host of uh, materials on our website um, we would certainly welcome new members uh, joining, uh, partaking of the discussions that we have with policymakers and also sharing the, um, you know, an enormous wealth of information, uh, technical reports that we have, and really just come to the table armed with facts to counter um, just the, you know, the rose-colored glasses sort of viewpoint that um, some of the folks who are pursuing aggressive policies uh, uh, tend to use. And, you know, I, I, I like to approach things on a solid science basis, um, you know, because biodiesel and renewable diesel speak for themselves. I mean, these are, as you can see in this report, these are numbers that are not, you know, they are substantial and they speak to the things that are important to the folks that are living, um, you know, and being being exposed to high levels of pollutants. They should be the ones who are taking this information and going to their 
policymakers and going, why aren't you doing something about this? And then, you know, just getting rid of the misinformation and the chaff and just going down to the real numbers. You know, if it takes me 30 years to get five high technology trucks using some exotic uh, technology, you know, why would I need to wait that long when I could get, you know, 10 or 100 times the benefits of that in the, you know, in those 30 years using uh, fuels like biodiesel and renewable diesel that are available right now? It's amazing, and it's a story we got to keep telling. Well, uh, Floyd Vergara, thanks for joining me today on Around Farm Progress. I appreciate the work that Clean Fuels Alliance America has been doing and continues to do. And we uh, thank you for this report, and uh, have a great day. Um, thanks. And, and if I if I can have just one more minute to thank the sponsors of the study, if that's possible, that'd be great. Um, okay, just uh, real quickly, want to shout out to the Soybean Boards Associations and Research Councils in ne- Nebraska, South Dakota. Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Ohio, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Eastern Region, and the California Advanced Biofuels Alliance. As you can see, a lot of um, interest in this topic, and without their generous support, um, this study would not have been possible. So I just wanted to thank them before I leave. Well, I appreciate that. And we also appreciate the work that Chekhov does to keep telling the story and doing the research that it takes to uh, make this message, get this message out. So that's exactly right. Floyd, thank you for your time and uh, thanks for your hard work. Thank you and have a great day. Thanks to Floyd Vergara for his insight on that 240-page Phase 2 report from Trinity Consultants. And thanks to the many ag commodity groups for making it possible. That look at 15 high-risk air quality communities is an eye-opener for anyone working to understand what renewable fuels mean not only for the environment but for the economy. And as we discussed, reports of the death of the internal combustion engine, gas or diesel are greatly exaggerated. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you're going to hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and our events including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and the New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.